to Cyberology, Dakota State University's podcast about all things cyber and technology. Gabe is out today. I'm Jen Burris. And this episode, Eric Peterson is here to talk about game design. Eric, why don't we get started with you telling us a little bit about yourself? I moved to South Dakota with my family about a year ago. I have been doing game design here at DSU for a couple semesters. Before that, I was a game development program chair at a small college in Madison, Wisconsin. During that time and before that time, I was a producer, associate producer, basic studio owner, lackey, whatever else, coffee getter type person in the video game industry. Got to work with a lot of different people. Before that, I taught instructional design and engineering and building construction courses at a different school. Before that, I was a project manager at a construction contractor. I've got two kids that are with me right now, and they are eight and 12. And I've got a couple of older kids that are at college and having a great time. Why don't you start with a little bit about what game design is and what it entails? Game design is a lot of things. In the one sentence answer, I'd say that game design is the development of interactive software, especially the digital end. You could go game design is magic cards or Pokemon cards. There's that type of industry. There's also the board game industry that we're all familiar with, everything from Twister to Monopoly. There's tons of different games and tons of different formats. What we do at DSU and what I've got some experience with is making digital designs. So making it an interactive digital content. Can you tell me a little bit about what goes into making digital content? Well, break it down to if you have artists that make digital content and it's just artists, you'll have pretty pictures. The designers bring to the table the fact that the product ends up being a good interactive product and fun to play. But without the people doing the code behind the scenes, you have nothing. So it's a combination of design coding and art and with a few elements of narrative and some other things thrown in there that actually make it work. So it's a pretty detailed, tough thing to do. Can you talk a little bit more about the duality of arts and sciences in this field? I can. And the way I'm going to phrase it is how, and I'll go back to DSU, it's not a sales pitch for DSU's program, but how DSU's got their setup of how we go about running the game development program. It's split 50-50 between Beacom College and the computer sciences and the arts and sciences programs. There's a combination of where one of the faculty members is from arts and sciences and I'm out of the Beacom College and we work on this together to make it happen. So it's a little bit different than most of the programs and most of the disciplines that are done here, which are if you are in audio, you spend the majority of your time in one building. If you are in arts and sciences, you spend the most of the time in one building. If you're a computer coder, you may split your time between a couple buildings. The discipline of game design is a combination of all the other disciplines put together. So we're kind of a unique creature. And what do you enjoy about the world of game design? I like to play games, all different kinds of games. And this is just playing, right? Playing and making are completely different creatures. I've been exposed to games that an eight-year-old would play up to any type of adult level games. But the 100% thing that I enjoy is the people that are part of the teams that make the games. It's all about the people. I have met some crazy, fun, intelligent, creative people in all industries I've been involved with, but the game development industry takes that to a different level. And those are the people that you basically want to surround yourself with. Out of all the stuff in game design, what do I enjoy the most? It's just being around the people, being in the trench, 
failing at what you're doing, succeeding at what you're doing, and just being together. So definitely not a solitary industry. Well, there are people that make games by themselves. If you've got a good financial base that you don't have to maintain a job, and you've got 15 years of your time that you want to invest into making one product, it could take a long time. Yeah. Multiple skill sets required, too, and to get really good at all of the skill sets mm -hmm. could take you 20 years to get good at all the skill sets. What is the industry as a whole like? Like a speeding bullet train. It goes really fast. The game dev industry is very young compared to other industries like manufacturing and production and education. All those industries are old school industries because people have been building houses for a long time. The game industry is still trying to get its feet and you can tell because the fast and vast changes that it makes so quickly, how it evolves not just technology-wise, but people-wise, the skill sets change, and they're changing all the time. It's constant evolution. There's typically no silver bullet to solving any one issue. Okay. You could take the werewolf down with a lot of different bullets, <laughs> but it's just the one that works. It's the solutions that work the best. A lot of times there's a publisher that you'll work with. That means that you're getting fronted money, so you have to understand how the business aspect of being fronted money works. You have to understand how to constantly be problem solving. The game industry is constant problem solving. Every day, something else is going to go wonky or break. And you're faced with re-figuring out how everything works almost every day. And prepares you for any kind of lifestyle, really. It really does. It really does. A lot of developers I know have been in the business for five to 10 years. And after five to 10 years, they find something else to do, which they could do almost anything they want because of their skill sets, mm -hmm. just to slow the pace of life down a little bit. Along that line, what are some of the different skills, the variety of skills that people need in this industry? Making interactive software is hard. It's very time consuming, but ultimately it ends up being a business like other businesses. If you develop a product and work on a product, which could be a game or a simulation or any of the above, you need to be able to turn a profit on that to pay the bills where you live for rent and put food on the table, be able to pay the people that you work with or work for. It ends up being a very difficult growing business. I'd say the biggest surprise with it is that the industry itself never slows down. It always is on a fast track. It's always the bullet train versus the old steam train that runs on coal. Other industries run on coal. The game development industry runs on like nuclear biofuel. Everyone's always going at the same pace. And as an example for that, there was a team that I was involved with that we found out six months into a production cycle that the engine that we were using to actually run the game wasn't good enough. In the last two months of that project, we completely ripped that engine out and installed a new game engine and recoded the entire six-month process in two months. That, wow. That happens on a relatively frequent basis. Nobody talks about it, but things like that are every day. What are some of the steps in the process of developing a new game? I'll just break it down to maybe how our students are doing it right now, mm -hmm. and that'll make it relatively simple. There's a concepting phase up front where either a publisher gives you a concept or you can try and self-publish something yourself or a small team. 
And you take that concept, you go into a pre-production mode. In the pre-production, you start developing your art. You start developing your mechanics that are going to run the product. Basically, you're developing your USPs. Those are your unique selling points. The things that really stand out, if you think of boxed game DVDs, where you look on the back of the box, it's usually got three or four things like great first-person action, you know, shoot all your enemies in the head, that kind of stuff, or zombie apocalypse. Those are usually bullet points on the back. Those are the unique selling points of your product. And you go from there and you start building the mechanics. You go into a production mode, which can be anywhere from what we do here is roughly six months at DSU for a student project. The industry could take up to five years to develop the production piece. And then it'll go to a post-production, finalized, the special effects are added, the audio is all refined, and then you launch. And it could be anywhere from eight months to five years that you're working on one thing. If you're an entry level position in that game industry. Um, you could be working on textures of rocks in the game for five years, and that's your first project. Wow. Yeah. And so that's like every day working on just the textures of the rocks. Ten-hour days. Ten-hour days. They might give you different colored rocks to use, <laughs> or if they find out that you're very competent in your production or your ability to make the color schemes work and the patterns work, they may give you some grass that you could color or some stones on the wall. But typically your first job as a texture artist in the industry, you aren't held responsible for much, but you're held responsible for doing a lot of rock textures. Sky textures, usually it's the lower end stuff, the designers that have been there for longer periods of time get uh, eat the meat off the bone, so to speak, and you're the ones that are putting the bones together. There you go. All you entry-level game designers, there's a reality check for you. <laughs> Definitely an area where you have to kind of work your way up then. Mm -hmm. It's like any other business. You have to start someplace. Um, you can, uh, th there's a there's a difference, I suppose, in the industry between a AAA development studio, which is an uh, example would be Blizzard, where they have roughly 2,000 people that work on a product, versus an indie studio, which are smaller, less funding, and they can develop some pretty good indie products. Teams of two to four to 20, to 40, that type of thing. Typically, the indie studios have a much smaller budget, mm -hmm. but they're able to turn around products a lot faster. Yeah. What do you think the difference is with the turnaround? Is it just the smaller teams so they can kind of work through it faster? They're just more agile. We teach our students here to be indie developers, mm -hmm. to be faster, to have more responsibility, to have more creative input and be part of teams that are held accountable for a lot more stuff than just being just a piece in the product. Okay. You know, it's the difference between going to Dakota State University to the University of Michigan, where there's, you know, 50,000 students versus 10,000 students. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference. And that's pretty much how the game industry runs, just like that. Okay. Cyberology. What would people be surprised to know about game design? It's a big gamble. The way that I'm going to define that is the bigger the studio, the bigger the monetary investment in the product. Mm -hmm. But there's no guarantees that that product is going to launch and make tons of money. Let's say that a company like Blizzard or EA or Raven Software or Activision or Nintendo, they could put up to a half a billion dollars into development of a project. 
And if that game releases and doesn't make that back, that's a big gamble. That's a big hit. And it's happened. It happens a lot. $500 million to the AAA game industry is a game. That's mind-blowing. Well, it's big money, but it's a big gamble. You know, if you or I were to put our money together and set up a studio and make games with a, just a staff of four or five or eight people, that's a huge gamble for us. But monetarily, it's a $500,000 gamble versus a five hundred million dollar gamble. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference between the indie development and the AAA development. Realistically, if you look at the big market in general, there's not a lot of new product. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Call of Duty Next. There's a lot of Madden 22. Mm -hmm. I think it's 22 now. The game generally falls into a production line mm -hmm. where they're producing another product in that line every 12 months. And every so that's just months. kind of minor changes type of thing? Well, sometimes there's major changes, but they have a well-defined process of development. Mm -hmm. They can reduce cost by having that well-defined process of development. But the flexibility of what could be really different or can we add things in? Can we take things out? It becomes a lot harder to do that. Less flexibility Less because flexibility. you've set a standard. And the players expect a certain level of product. Mm -hmm. Whereas the independent industry, the indie games industry, is far more flexible. There's far less barriers or constraints other than not having $500 million. Of course, that's a that's kind of a barrier. But <laughs> there's AAA studios that will spend half a billion dollars on advertising alone. So you're looking at giant AAA games that come out that cost a billion dollars between production and marketing. That's a lot of money. They've got to justify the cost of $75 for a game. It is a business. Mm -hmm. We try and teach that to our students, too, is by the time they graduate, they'll understand the difference between releasing a product that's a free-to-download versus maybe a $4.99 mm -hmm. game that they can post on Steam and actually turn a little bit of a profit and help pay their rent the last year that they're here, that kind of thing. Yeah. Whether you're, quote-unquote, playing with someone else's money or mm -hmm. your own money, it's a gamble. Are there ways that students can use the skills that they've gained in the game design arena in different areas outside of that? Mm -hmm. I will explain that as well as I can without a whiteboard and a marker. <laughs> Picture the capital T. Mm -hmm. The width of the top of the T is the breadth of experience we will expose them to here. Okay. So everything from some audio components to how to put together some 2D art and how to put together 3D art and animation and how to code for games, how to use the industry game engine. And then to finish that off would be to put them on teams and teach them how or expose them to working together as a team to actually produce a product. A lot of times we find that's the hardest thing. But the vertical piece of the T is a part that we encourage all of the students to select one of those pieces across the breadth of the T and gain a in-depth knowledge of that skill set. Let's just say they want to be a texture artist. They want to graduate and do texture art for different indie studios or for a AAA studio or whatever they want to do. The last year or two that they are here, that's the one skill that they really focus on. When a student graduates, the breadth of the T is wide enough so that they understand the game industry is a business. 
and they understand how each of the different pieces work together. But they also have that in-depth, deep dive of the vertical part of the T mm-hmm. that will get them specific positions out in the games industry. And we teach them all that. They all have the opportunity to do that. We encourage the students to pick what they want to get really good at. We will push them in that direction. So the last year they're here, they're working on a team and that's what they're doing. They're doing their special pieces of that overall component. Being the head designer, the one with the idea, or if they want to be a level layout person, or if they want to be an artist, or they want to be a coder, those jobs are more defined the last year that they're here. Okay. So when they graduate, they can go directly into those fields. And would you say that they can also then use those skills, such as a designer, in different markets if they, for some reason, chose not to continue on with game design? Absolutely. Writing code means that you've learned coding languages and how it works and how Mm -hmm. the logic works. That doesn't mean that it's just limited to game design because basically everything is running on code. Learning another language would be nothing more than just applying that logic and spending a bit of time to learn another computer language. Same thing for the artist. If one of our game development graduates that has an art-specific background wanted to go into graphic design, They understand all of the layouts. They understand the sizing. They understand the colors. They understand everything that they have to do to be able to step right into that field. It would be a short step versus a long step. And we do that on purpose. It opens the amount of options that they have. Because getting into the game business is hard. And they may spend a year of working as a graphic designer at a print shop someplace If they're an artist looking to get into the business, and that's what they have to do, but that's okay. And they're set up for that. So building experience in other areas, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Are your students working on anything cool in the classroom right now? Oh, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I was kind of hoping you'd ask that. So six months ago, our students completed their first round of project classes that Peter and I have been here for to help be part of. Two of the three projects are actually downloadable games on Steam. One of them went live about two months ago. It's got roughly 10,000 downloads now, which is pretty cool. It's basically the goal is our students have published work before they graduate. And what's the title of that game? The name of that game is Three O'Clock Horror. And it's a very fitting game to play because it is Halloween time now. And it's a free to download game. So try it out. Put some comments in the feedback. And they've been updating that game. I think they've gone through two updates already. And that one's being developed as potentially a mobile app as well. The other game is a game called Me Scoozy. And I'll just spell that. It's M-I-S-C-U-S-I. And that game went live about a week ago. And it's got over 2,500 downloads in a week. And there's probably another 5,000 plays of the game that haven't actually been downloaded, just been played 5,000 or so times. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, so two out of the three games, we've got almost 15,000 plays and downloads, and that's pretty cool stuff. That puts DSU, which is in Madison, South Dakota, in the middle of the country, in the middle of cornfields and bison herds, on par with a lot of the East and West Coast game development schools that specifically teach game development, so... It's been a pretty fun week or two. A lot of sleepless nights, and that just happens to be one of our team names right now, too. So Sleepless nights. Sleep, yep, sleepless nights. 
I wonder where that will go. Yeah, well, we'll have to see what happens with that. We've got four teams right now. Uh-huh. Their products are due for launch at the end of next semester, so they have another six months or so to okay. continue working on them. Sure. And that's where we're at. Thank you, Eric, for being a guest today. Thanks to our podcast producer, Xander Morrison, and thank you for listening to Cyberology. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking a moment of your time to rate and review. Thank you. Thank you.